Welcome back to another episode of LA Pop Financial. My name is Chauncey Talese, and I wrap up the 1 and 0 LA Rams or LAFE Network.com. It is a fantastic website. Today's a very special, special, special episode as I have uh, contributing editor Vanity Fair. Uh, she also wrote for Variety in the Huffington Post. Miss Mo Ryan, she has a new book called Burn It Down about the toxicity in Hollywood workplace. Mo Ryan, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I'm honestly, I'm happy you're back because you did this with me uh, in 2020, like peak COVID, and we were talking about like, how Hollywood is handling uh, quarantine and like uh, masking people and just paying people for uh, furloughed work. And now we're talking about them not being good again. Well, it's yeah. I mean, how many different ways can the industry go through it? Like the last few years, like it, I've, I've been writing about the industry for 30 years. So like I'm, you know, 2000 years old, well, <laughs> but like the last few years, there's always been churn and takeovers and buyouts and mergers. Like that's always been a feature. And obviously the last seven or eight years have really been the last decade, more or less since orange is the new black really made a splash. Um, mm -hmm. We've seen the streaming revolution, but just the last three years alone, you know, we've had the pandemic and a huge, even for this industry, an extra large wave of sort of mergers layoffs, that kind of thing, and job insecurity at an all-time high, at least in my experience. And then on top of that, the strikes. And I had to write the part in my book where I'd get into, will the industry strike? I had to write that, start, you know, start the writing mm -hmm. process of that like over a year ago. And I was revising is, you know, really as close to the end as I could, like into this year. But I kind of thought there would be strikes. Did I think that this particular pattern that we've seen go down of like the dual strikes i wasn't sure about that but yeah it's been it's been a really tough time in the in, in within an industry that is already like as we know like super easy easy to survive and like fun at all times <laughs> right exactly the thing that's interesting about your book is while the you know the abuses you lay out in your work in the workplace which are very unique in their own way they're not all the same type but how they've been really exacerbated by the uh, influx of Netflix, Amazon, and other streaming sites, and the uh, just gigantic output of content, which we all thought was great because it's, oh, look, all these people are getting to do shows they wouldn't normally have been able to do on network. But we're seeing that it comes at a massive cost. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I remember writing about the transition to shorter episode, episode, shorter seasons around the time that um, the show uh, Spartacus was on, which, like, you know, the Spartacus mm -hmm. fandom among my favorite people on earth because you people get it and you're the best. Um, also, <laughs> fun, fun but, show. but I remember, you know, so I'm old enough to remember like most shows were 22, a 22 episode order. And then, mm -hmm. you know, premium and basic cable began to, you know, be incredibly even more prominent than they were sort of in the mid aughts. And at that time, one thing they wanted to do was attract you know, Glenn Close or, you know, some of these actors, you know, Laura Linney, actors who otherwise may not do a TV show. So you see, okay, she's, this person's going to do a 13 episode season or a 10 episode season. But then I began to notice that 13 started to seem more of the norm, even on broadcast networks, or it started to happen much more on broadcast networks because even they wanted to compete and, you know, be part of that it, for writers and creators too working on a 13 episode season of TV is a much different animal than a 22 or 24 episode, you know, season. So I understood, everyone understood why this transition was happening, but what, you know, it's interesting that I was writing about it at, you know, 14, 15, maybe 12 years ago as maybe, you know, affecting storytelling on a level that maybe we should think more about. But the thing is what the industry went whole hog on was this idea that, um, people just want a lot of shows and they just don't care if they, those seasons of those shows are short, you know, and now it just, I know that there have been studies and actually people have counted, you know, done all the number, the number crunching and eight episodes is now more the norm, but I really feel like in streaming, don't you feel like, yeah, there's eight episodes in 10 episodes, but a lot of times there's also six and so mm -hmm. what kind of collided in the last few years was they're cracking open the gates of the literal gatekeeping to allow perhaps a wider array of worlds and protagonists and tones and voices. There's more, maybe some experimentation that we 
are enjoying or some big swings, this, that, and the other, all of these things are good, but it made it less possible to sustain a career. And that applies to crew creators. Um, like lots of people were affected by this writers, directors, because you're having to cobble together more gigs and you don't have like the job security thing was never huge because as you you know as you read in my book people could fire you and then badmouth you and ruin your career even if you had done essentially nothing wrong and or maybe mm -hmm. something right so it's not as if it was this paradise of job security or stability but it, the last few years have just been particularly unstable which is why i honestly got to say like i'm always very conscious when i'm talking about the book or, you know, talking to folks like you, like give people a reason to hope. I know that the strike is tough. People were having trouble covering their bills even before the strike, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like, Oh, yay strike. That's not my, <laughs> at all. no one has that feeling. <clears throat> but what I, what I'm just thunderstruck by daily is that I've covered other strikes and this one we are well over, I think, are we approaching like day 150 of the strike for the Writers Guild? And you know, We're over 150. There's yeah. a, a writer I follow who like every day will um, put on Twitter like day 161 or whatever. Exactly. And so for, so, so for this, for this level of, the, the writer strike in 2007, 2008 was exactly 100 days. And you started to see splintering way before like day 50, I think, you know, and, and, you know, there's always behind the scenes, there's always differing opinions. And I've been talking to people since the strike began and we, you know, people have different outlooks about different things, but they're keeping it um, unified more for the most part, you know, like there was even that, Oh, showrunners want a meeting with the guild. And then the sh those showrunners actually canceled the meeting because they said, we want to convey that we are united and this level of solidarity not just within guilds, but across guilds, especially with, um, you know, Teamsters turning trucks around and, you know, not mm -hmm. picket lines, IATSE. Um, I think IATSE is going to, you know, hope for and expect and should get. That's the many crew members are members of the IATSE uh, conglomeration of unions. They're going to expect to get some sort of, you know, return support, which they definitely should. Um, but this, this level of overall, um, keep, you know, holding the line. I, I didn't expect it, certainly not going this long, but I think that someone, uh, there was a writer's guild communication to members that I think put it best. We're not going to come this far to half save ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the way that I've been explaining the, the studio's positions on the strikes is this, um, the reason these strikes are happening is because these are existential questions. It's not, I would like to have a nicer car or upgrade my house or get a second mm -hmm. home for a vacation home. This is either, either we get these things or we can't, this profession kind of for the most part goes away. Mm -hmm. And for, for actors and writers, that's especially dire right now. Um, so the studio's position is, okay, how about this? Position A, we kill you fast. Position B, we kill you faster. That's not, you know what I mean? Like that's, they're like, and I feel like the guild's positions are fairly rational in saying, how about a third alternative here where you don't kill our professions? <laughs> like, what about that? Um, right. So, so I, I'm just really heartened, to be honest with you, at the level of, uh, the stress is enormous, but people have been through so much. Maybe that's what prepared them to, um, gut this out. And it is a really a gut check and it's really, it's really tough on people, but I'm really pretty amazed that people have been as united as they have been. Um, because you know, you, you, you know, writers, you know, creative people, like you, you get five creative people in a room and they're all going to have a, you know, like a very different right. storyline for how something should happen. So, um, so it's pretty impressive. And, you know, that said, I hope it all resolves soon. I think the difference between this one and the one in 07, 08 is that we've all seen the ramifications of what's happened in the last decade. Whereas in 07, 08, like broadcast was still fairly strong. I mean, yes. you know, that's like peak lost or peak broadcast TV still booming. Um, 
streaming and even premium cable hasn't quite um, right. upended, upended everything yet. So it didn't seem like, well, we'll be fine. It's all good. Like, we'll, right. we're, we're okay. And now right. even a lot of network veterans are like, oh, crap. Like, we did not get enough out of this because this was coming and we did not see it. Well, they, you know, it's very tough. It's tough to know, like, mm-hmm. oh, like we should, we, we should definitely, you know, like you go in with a list of asks and then, you know, you, you at some point, how hardcore are you going to be about certain li- things on that list? But absolutely, um, the games that were uh, realized in every industry strike, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, I tweeted this last night. If people hadn't struck in the industry, many times across many fronts every most things that i love about on-screen entertainment wouldn't exist in the america like i can't speak to other um nations unions and you know activities of of how those all devolved and of course i would you know doctor who came up on i would still love it whatever but you know the american film commercial film and television um, stories that I love, the reason any of that was possible for my entire lifetime is because some people, a decent amount of the time, were a- a- able to have a working class or middle class life in very expensive cities. And that's really it. You know, we can sit there and go, well, what led to this, the various explosions of, you know, the golden age of film, the gold, the, the 70s, mm-hmm like the easy ride or raging bull era and like what what led to the explosion of you know incredible storytelling that i was lucky to cover as various waves of tv happened a really a big part of that foundation was guilds in the industry said we want residuals and i think one of the most notable things you know i, I wish i'd gotten into industry you know guild history more in my book i couldn't i couldn't go far that i couldn't go that far back but you know at at one point the writers guild of america you know struck and demanded residuals for because they're a writer is giving away their copyright like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell a story on paper and i'm gonna give you the rights to that piece of work forever so that's a huge thing and people are like well why do they still want to make money off of it because theoretically if they own that piece of IP or work, they can exploit it however they want as an individual, or they can form their own company and, you know, do, do all that. But they're, they're, they're trading away that copyright for, uh, the ability to put food on the table. Like, I think that that's, you know, like they should be able to do that for what they're Mm -hmm. giving away. And at one point the writers guild said they were, the studio said, well, all right, maybe we'll think about doing this residual thing, but it's only going to be going forward. For everything you've done up till now, if you're in the guild, you don't get Jack. You know, it's only going to be for future, you know, contracts and whatnot. And the guild said, okay. And and they gave up. A lot of people essentially gave up or sacrificed what could have been a pretty good payday for them to help create what I, what I just laid out. This, this working class and middle class ability to some of the time sustain an income in this industry so that was incredible you know there's been a lot of incredible sacrifices and um and gains that were made by these guilds that made a lot of what we care about possible but then you know essentially a lot of folks have pointed this out i'm certainly not the 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 one smart person who thought of this they're trying to resurrect what we're talking about you know cable or the the television landscape circa 2006 because now they're all introducing ad tiers like Mm -hmm. oh we spent billions and we're not making, you know, like we're paying our executives a ton, but we're actually as a company not making as much money off this model. So let's go ahead and add back in advertising, charge consumers more. And we're getting into bundling too. Like we're right. slowly we're easing bundling. the bundling. Remember that? Make it 2007 again through science or magic. Like it's that, that's what they're doing, but they're making it 2007 again without the residual and payment and, and, and compensation structure in some you know, skosh of job stability that existed in 2007. So it's, right. but this is what Hollywood does. If I'm going to be honest with you, it, it continues to morph over time. And the way that it morphs is how can we, the studio make money and squeeze every possible drop out of other people making money. And so, you know, I think that the huge change, and I don't know if you agree with this, but 
a huge sea change that I've seen in the public opinion of it all is, well, writers are rich. Why are these spoiled babies? Mm -hmm. You know, like you would, you would encounter that in 2007 and 2000 mm -hmm. a lot. And I'll, you know, I'll never forget like walking through the parking lot of where all the 24 writers worked. And you know what I thought? I was like, well, if you work on 24, you drive a nice car. You know, like that's like, that's, mm -hmm. they should drive a nice car. They're working 16 hours a day to like put a show on the air. That's fine. I don't have an issue with that. But I've been in the homes of people who work in this industry. I know a lot of people at all levels in this industry. I got to tell you, the vast majority of them do not have salted away in the bank enough money to live for you know to live comfortably in los angeles or new york or vancouver or toronto forever no. they just like they just it's just not set up that way and if and my personal feeling is they should be comfortable mm -hmm. if you have if you if you have a 20-year career or a 10-year or even a five-year career where you have been a productive worker um part of the efforts making billions of dollars for these corporations yeah, you should be able to pay rent in uh, Los Angeles somewhere, you know, but it's the math is no longer mathing because, you know, study after study has shown that for most working writers and actors, income has gone down or has just been suppressed for quite some time, while the cost of housing and other costs have doubled or tripled in the last 10 to 20 years. And it's, you know, you know, I, I, and just to sort of pivot on that pay thing and, you know, the revolution we all thought would be so great. I talked to Mike Schur for a piece I did for Vanity Fair and other showrunners um, in 2000, 2020. No, I'm sorry. Like what year is mm -hmm. it? I, so I write this piece for 2020 and it was me basically lamenting, you know, The Shield had 70 plus episodes. Grey's Anatomy is still going. I did not watch 300 episodes of Supernatural because you know, like I cared that much about, you know, the monsters. Mm -hmm. they were, I, I cared about the characters. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of lamenting the long run of a TV show in these short seasons because, you know, I increasingly feel that they are throwing over. Uh, they're just tossing out the baby with the bathwater. And I love not just character development, but character building is often relationship building, right? Why mm -hmm. do why are they in a fight now? Or why are they, oh, they're falling in love. Like what, like how, how people's relationships change over time. Um, why they care about each other, why I should care about what they're doing or be interested in it, in it at all. A lot of that stuff just goes by the wayside when you only have eight episodes to grind out a story. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like so, that's the big, you've been hitting the, the drum on that for years, actually. It's like yes. the, lo the lost art of the, um, the not throwaway episode, but like the non, the non uh, storyline episode, That's like uh, the, the of the the of the week episode, I should That's say. There we go. Exactly the, the the digression episode, something like that, you know. And you know, Mike explained to me, and I was so glad. Some like, I, and I had heard stuff like this, but he actually broke it down for me in very, very um, easy to understand financial terms. So let's say that you are you've built up resume you've been bouncing around the industry for a while and it's 2014 15 16 uh you go in for a meeting with one of the streamers and they're like we love you you're great make a show for us and here's this cool new model that we're going to unveil for you called cost plus and it's going to be great so mm -hmm. let me tell you how it works i mean you know it's going to be season one you as the ep creator whatever like you get x y and z but also you know, starting in season two, you get like sort of a bonus payment, right? Mm -hmm. And then in season three, that bonus goes up. Season four, oh my gosh, the bonus is really good. And by season five, you can buy that, you know, second home in France mm -hmm. or what, you know what I mean? So it was, he's like, Mo, they never intended to do that. They got no. us all to sign those deals. And then they're like, okay, cool. Two seasons and out. And you're like, wait, what? No, I can't. What? This is like... It's crazy to me that a lot of my favorite shows, their first season was 22 episodes, and now some shows are done at 20. You know what I mean? Right, and that's not enough time to really invest in stuff unless it's a very tight miniseries, but that's what these aren't, you know? And I, believe me, I was, it's very weird to be, you know, someone covering this industry in many ways, as I'm sure you know, but like, one of the weirdest things is that for a long time, a lot of us were banging the drum of like, let us... 
uh, let, let shows be more serialized. And the funny thing is Sean Ryan would, would inform us like at, at, at part, you know, at industry events or even on stage at TCA, he would be like, well, okay, so here's the thing. Network and studio executives will say to you, and this was like, you know, 15 years ago, someone who considers themselves a fan of a show and, and, and into a show, they might watch five episodes out of 22. So essentially you have to re reintroduce the premise to everybody mm-hmm. every time. And as much as, I mean, I really loved poker face. There's a lot of shows that do oh, that yeah. well. I'm actually in a, in the middle of a orphan black rewatch that first season. So fun. And also, by the way, not for nothing. Every episode is 42 minutes. Just yep. that's the other thing I was going to bring. Up. But anyway, um, well, and here's the thing. This is something I can rant about in your podcast. I didn't get into in the book. Okay, so let me let's do this math. Let's say there's a very popular streaming show, and it's not called Schmed Schmasho. Um, <laughs> the episode. I'm glad you brought this up. In the first season, and I'm just going to talk about episode runtimes. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm a writer who writes an episode of TV for a half-hour comedy. I mean, it depends on what my reps have worked out for me, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. score might be different, but there are certain minimums. But so I'm writing an episode of TV that's 24 minutes long. Okay, cool. Or I'm directing that episode and it's 24 minutes long. Great. Okay, cool. That's the, I get my fee. We all part as friends. Okay. In season three, when it's 56 minutes, am I getting mm-hmm. double the money? Am I getting double the money to direct that? So what a lot of these shows have done, okay, I'm fully in a rant mode here. Sorry. Please, not sorry. please, 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 rant. But, but so let's say, oh, okay, the episode, that season is eight episodes long. When you, if it's a half hour show, if you break it down and divide it by 22, which is the old school like that, you know, your episode of comedy, of, and even now like Abbott Elementary or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. broadcast comedies are 22, 20 minutes, 21 minutes, something like that. If you took the total number of run times for Ted Lasso's third season and divided it by 22, you would not, you would get a lot more than I believe they had 10 episodes or whatever. Basically people are being asked, and I don't mean to pick on Ted Lasso for this because I see it across Netflix, Amazon, a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you wrote an hour long episode of TV in 2009, if you wrote for an hour-long show, and I don't care if it's HBO or CW or whatever it was, you're, it's going to come in at around 43 minutes, maybe if you're on cable, 49.50, um, except if you were Sons of Anarchy, and then it was like 700. But anyway. Tell me about it. Oh, my God. But, but so, like, the, the, so now I'm seeing streaming episodes or a lot of episodes that we like are sort of like on popular services. I'll call it that. Or in the hour long realm, it's like 70 minutes. This is mm-hmm. in comedy in, and in, in half hour and an hour, they are nearly doubling the amount of pages that people are writing. I highly doubt they are doubling the amount of pay that that director is getting. How about the cast? How about everyone in the Like people aren't getting more money to do something that is much longer than it used to be. And so I constantly am, I feel like I'm seeing these constant ways to get around just fair compensation, which is nuts because these companies are not poor and it's not the fault of a key grip or a makeup artist or a story editor or a jobbing director that this or that company took on a ton of debt or overspent or, you know, did something wrong financially. Like the people in the cast and the crew and in the production team and the post team, they didn't do that. Why are they paying the bill for it? I don't get it. You know, I'm sorry. Rant no, now no, that's what I wanted to hear. Like, that's that's honestly good stuff. And I honestly, I also think what we've also seen is like the reason why all the premium cable shows were so good is because it's a lot of network people learning their lessons from network. and bring it over bring it over to hbo amc what have you but now because there's so many shows you don't have as many people who are experienced in the way tv is supposed to be done right and they're just trying, they're just trying to get their six episode thing maybe they have a writing staff maybe they don't and that and puts they, a lot of there's a lot of pressure on them and by by contrast their staff too and, and by the way the situations in your book i i don't like to sort of reflexively um you know crap on executives because like 
here's the thing. The top CEOs that could end the strike tomorrow, yeah, I think they're behaving irrationally and stupidly, and they're paying themselves a ton of money to not put new product in front of their customers. But, you know, so that level of people, yes, they can take their lumps because they're on yachts right now. I mean, mm. anyone who has a yacht, what you know. I get it now. Yeah, whatever. Um, but, like, a lot of executives over the years knew what they were doing. Why was Suits really popular? Why Why is it popular again? Because the executive team were, and worked with the writers to make it the best possible show it could be. But now what I find, and I'm, I talk to creative people a lot, you know, it's funny. Someone wrote an op-ed, like, Diary of a show, Striking Showrunner. I remember this. Uh, yeah, like, they, they, they missed the development process where, like, every other th- – every three months you'd log on with the executive – and it would be a new person every time. And I'm like, yeah, that feels right. Like, I do think that some some places do have pretty long-term, um, you know, people who stuck around a lot. But that's increasingly rare. And, you know, I've taken my share of shots at HBO over the, time, over the, the years. But it's absolutely incredible to me that David Zaslav essentially took one of the most storied and respected brands in the entire history of the American media ecosystem and destroyed it and the executives at HBO the fact that they came up with that many good shows wasn't an accident you know I mean in, mm-hmm. in, in my book believe me there's a specific HBO executive that I, that I take aim at so again yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying I you know I endorse everything about the HBO culture or the you know the way that it, it worked there but like there are executives who are good at helping someone who wants to tell a story, tell that story in the way that will be in alignment with what the creator wants to accomplish and also exciting or at least interesting for the audience. Do you know what I mean? And now Mm -hmm. there's just so much churn at so many places. And I think a lot of creators who, who did come up in the system we're talking about, um, which didn't, it, it only really began being taken up, stripped for parts and totally dying in the last like four years, three, four years. So a lot of people came up in that system and we can all sit there and talk about notes that were terrible and executives mm-hmm. that weren't helpful. Like that's certainly a thing that exists. But um, in the best case scenario, the executives are on the team of the people trying to make the thing and also want to help make it as good as it can be. But the amount of executive churn, like if people have essentially tapped out of this industry and they were crew, they were post, they were writers, they were directors, they were executives. They were like, you know, I'm going to go, you know, sell real estate. I get it because it's like it, it just becomes there comes a point when it's like I am putting so much of myself into this and I'm required to make such an enormous effort on the daily I'm not getting that back. You know what I mean? There has to mm-hmm. be a two-way street. And unfortunately for so many people of, in recent years, um, the, the two-way street has been a war zone in which if you emerge from your little dugout, you're going to get, you know, a, a grenade thrown at you. Yeah. It's like what a lot of the writers are saying is like, it's basically become gig work. Like you basically, yeah. you're, an Uber, you're an Uber driver, but a writer now. Essentially. Right. And the thing is, it, it kind of always was that way, but the golden ticket was, you got on the staff of a 20 or 22 episode season, or maybe even a 13 episode season. You know, I saw a panel at the ATX TV festival, which I love down in Austin. I believe it was, was this year or last, this last year? Um, it was the justified writers and Hello. it was hilarious. Like they were funny. All of them had gone on to success. I mean, the, the dream was you get on a show where, you know, six to 10 months of the year, you're working, you're getting checks, you'll, you'll get residuals from that work that will keep you aloft if things, you know, grind to a halt or your show gets canceled. But you're also going to set your um, learning, you're sitting in on, you know, right. production meetings, tone meetings, you're talking to, um, you're going, you're going to all the meetings and, and talking to executives or watching your boss do all those things. Because essentially, Every writer's room, especially the shows that we loved, was a university, you know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, oh, this, this, this university always produces powerhouse quarterbacks or, you know, like really good, has a really good offensive game or whatever, you know, um, that's what writer's rooms are when they are, on, when they are really working, 
people learn a lot of different skill sets that allows them to move up. And it's, there's so many things that people are striking for now. And I'm really glad that they're, I think they're attempting to hold the line on staffing sizes because not only is it bad for the people coming up or who are established, but I have heard so many stories of, um, you know, one, yes, you can have a writer's room for 10 weeks or 12 weeks or 20, 20 weeks. First of all, that's not really enough time. And by the way, that's happening completely divorced from pr production. Mm -hmm. So, so everyone comes together, then they're scattered. And let, then let's say production begins in, you know, Bulgaria for, you know, two months later. And maybe that top person, showrunner, head writer, as Marvel calls them, um, mm. you know, maybe they get to stay on with maybe one assistant part of the time. It burns out the creative person too, because essentially it's too, it, you know, it's very difficult to be the only point person on a production when it's an active production and during post, because so many people I know and respect in the game, they came up and were, you know, their showrunner would turn to them and say, go in the edit room, you know, go, go, go oversee the editing. Cause you watched me do it enough times, you know what to do. And I'll take a look when you're done. And that's how you learned, you know, but now just with one person having to shoulder all of those burdens, it's like, if you have a magnificent racehorse, no trainer in the world will tell you race that horse six days a week. It's just not a thing that you do. You can't like, that's not a thing. And this thing now where they all want, you know, the golden ideal for these CEOs is to have, you know, a Taylor Sheridan uh, who claims to write every page of every show, which I think is something I have questions about. Outside uh, on a barbecue. Yeah, it's an interesting claim, but leave that there. But like, oh, well, Mike White writes epi every episode of this or you know craig mazin writes every episode of that like well okay but like neither of those men is saying i want to be the model they're not trying to be the poster child for anything they're just that's how they work but they're the first people to say that i need a really good crew i'm you know i'm blessed to have people i work with that make the work better and the, the, the problem with that model is that mike white came up you know, having a normal industry career, whatever. Yeah, gigs. He, he worked on, yeah, he worked on TV shows. He wrote films, this, that, and the other, you know, what, what these executives want is we want this result, AKA a person who can write and post and, and do everything for every episode of the season. We don't want to invest in making that possible, nor do we want to give the support to the person who actually has to run that gauntlet. So right. that's not a sustainable thing. You know, essentially what these CEOs want to do right now is eat the seed corn. And what you don't want to do if you're a farmer is take all your seeds for next year, put them in a stew and eat it. Because then you know what? You don't have anything for next right. year and you start. Exactly. And that's bad. Right. And, you know, that's why a lot of streaming shows will feel disjointed. Like they could have, this could have been like an hour and a half movie, but you broke it up into like six, 20, 40, 35, 50 minute episode lengths. So they're not consistent and it just feels disjointed. And that's hurting, hurting the, uh, hurting the product, but they also don't care because, well, I see the brand name. I see this show. Then we have this forever and it's going to be probably premiere well the first week and then go away. Cause people just drift. Well, and, and it doesn't matter to them because it's already made. Exactly. It's already a, a, a dot on the stock sheet. And that's why when I talked to people in the industry for that 2020 piece, they were like, yeah, so their algorithm says, oh, you liked this series about, you know, a group of plucky strivers and it has a sci-fi element. Okay, cool. We'll give you two seasons of that. But then we'll go over here and make a different version of that, a different show. And, mm -hmm. and here's how they save money that cast doesn't need a third episode bump. Nobody in, you know, nobody's making more money because it's the third or the fourth or the fifth season. Well, just, but this is like saying to a young child, well, you know, Bobby, I know our dog got ran over, but here's a different dog. You love it just as much in this moment, don't you? And your kid is like, are you out of your mind? No, I don't. Like, who is this dog? I don't know this dog. I had a dog with this pet, you know? So it's just a lot of really terrible assumptions that are unfortunately being 
so mirroring a lot of things that are happening in our economy. And, you know, I, I, this was again, the thing I sort of said last night on social media, it's like, I know it's tough. I'm not downplaying or minimizing how tough the strikes are for people. And they are very tough, but at the same time, it's providing an object lesson for people in the public who are like, you know, when my employer says I should just feel lucky to be here, I don't ever feel like that's a thing because I'm doing a job that I, you know, I, I, I came here to do a job for money and I'm doing the job for money and don't not give me raises or not compensate me fairly because I'm quote lucky to be here. It's like, mm-hmm. no one's lucky to be anywhere, you know? Right. They, they work to get there. It's not. And the thing is that the industry has thrived on pushing that mentality for a really long time, but people are, are just in a lot of industries fed up. Like just last night, United Auto Workers went on strike. And what's interesting to me is that whether you're talking about IATSE's strike authorization vote, um, you know, SAG-AFTRA, the Writers Guild, other, other unions. UPS. UPS. The strike authorization votes are quite often 98%, 97%, 99% because people are like, okay, hold up. The CEO is making $50 million a year or a hundred million or David Zaslav made $250 million a year. (laughs) So you have the money. You're just choosing not to spend it on me being able to have healthcare, have food, have a place to live like that's nuts and people are mm-hmm. like no dog i'm not gonna do that or have the tools i need to just do my job like a mm-hmm. tv writer needing a staff rather than it just me and like one other person and then we also can't work for right. six months because the right. show might be season two some people can juggle objects while riding in a unicycle but most people don't want like it's make exactly that's a great way to actually think about it I had this array of tools and this workshop and those tools and, 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 and objects and helped me make something that made everybody rich, by the way, it wasn't just fun and good. If mm-hmm. you aired suits, if you aired, you know, supernatural, if you sold those shows around the world, guess what? Your studio made a ton of money. Yay. Like this is how it's it sure did. And if they were on DVD, even more money. Right. So it's crazy to me that, you know, Anyone who worked on Suits, you know, it's number one on Netflix for years and years and not years. I'm sorry, weeks and weeks, months, months, this this whole year. They like, again, they should share in the wealth and, you know, the whole idea of all of this should be or the guilds have forced it to be. We are asking for a fair share. And honestly, if you think about it. It's a minuscule slice. It's not a huge amount of money, but they're asking for like basically anything. We w- we would just like to have um, certain job protections that allow us to you know put food on the table and have clothes on our back and have a place to live. And the studios are like, God, so greedy. It's not. It's not. This is not greedy. And I think it's really interesting. And I'm really interesting to see interested to see how this plays out people are understanding as you know i pointed out in my book if you're working on the set of an amazon show or if you're working in an amazon warehouse i don't see those situations as being fundamentally all that different your job is precarious you have very few protections there's a reasonable chance you're not being paid what you're worth and you may even be in physical danger if people are cutting corners i mean there's a lot of commonalities amongst workers across all professions. And I, I'm just really heartened by the fact that the members of the public are starting to see this, that like, oh my gosh, isn't it cool and glamorous to go on a set? I mean, yeah, it, it can be really fun. It can be super fun to you know go to an industry party, go to an event, visit a set. Yeah, of course, it can be cool. It can be great. But again, these people are professionals doing a job that they are contracted to do for money they want to be treated respectfully and professionally and not abused, which, you know, again, I think, I think sort of like, you know, that's really a theme of my book. It's like, wait, so you want to underpay me and treat me like crap. I feel Mm. like that's not glamor. (laughs) That's not such a fun feeling. And I have no recourse for it. No recourse. Some people are speaking. That's the difference now from when I started covering the industry. Um, 
there still are many disincentives to, to speak out on any of these things, but people are fed up and they are speaking out now. And that's really upsetting the apple cart. And you can't just say, Oh, come work in this glamorous industry. You're lucky to be here. People are like, you know, on hour 16 of their work day, they mm-hmm. do not feel lucky, especially if they're working for someone who disrespects them or doesn't right. enough, you know? When I had you on the first time, I think it was right around when um, the, the Goldbergs issue came up with Jeff Garland. And I was I was happy that it just seemed like the cast wasn't enabling it anymore. Like, especially like Wendy McClennan Covey, I think she's a big character in that chapter of your book. She's like, yeah, I didn't, this isn't something I want to deal with anymore either. He doesn't want to be here. So. Well, and that's, I, I, your pal Mo Ryan doesn't want to get sued. So I'm just going to say this. <laughs> Sorry. There's been any number of situations I've written about or covered, or even some that I haven't been able to write about at this, at this point yet, mm-hmm. where people did complain. A lot. I mean, I, can't, I wish I had a dollar for every time someone said to me, the HR files on that show, they must need that warehouse from the end of Indiana Jones. Huh. Um, because like the HR files are enormous. And that, like, that's, uh, that's what people, people are at a breaking point on a lot of fronts, you know, like you've destroyed the model that made everybody a ton of money and allowed some people to have a foothold into stability and a partial foothold into the middle class and on top of that, you've enabled and looked the other way when people were disrespected, abused, damaged professionally and personally, um, you know, had to deal with vindictive and un- un- unacceptable behavior. And, you know, th- it's just not it's not something that people have been really willing to put up. They've People try like every time. Why didn't people write about this? There have been any number of ways, typically, when something finally breaks open to the public. Prior to that, there were any number of ways in which people tried to make something known in certain ways. And and just the entire system just said, no, we're not going to, you know, either made Mm -hmm. it clear that the people trying to alter the situation for the better would get in big trouble or ignored it or covered it up or, you know, quite often, unfortunately, in this industry, those trying to draw attention to a problematic person or set or workplace, they were the ones who were then persecuted, you know, or Mm -hmm. wounded. And, you know, that's the reality because, you know, it it does, I got to say, it does frustrate me a little bit when people are like, well, why didn't people talk about X or Y sooner? Why didn't speak up about X, this person or that set or that company? I'm like, and they did. Are you kidding me? Okay. First of all, a lot of people did. They got shut down or fired or blacklisted um, or, you know, drummed out of the industry or suffered very serious mental or even physical, you know, effects from mm. having tried to make that change. And, you know, is, 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 you know, one individual is not going to be able to, you know, basically the forces that become activated when you try to, hold people to account in the entertainment industry are very, very powerful. And many times I've had to deal with those forces. Um, I may be dealing with them now about <laughs> something that maybe <laughs> I'm in, you know, a publication. So um, it, it, people I think now have a much better idea of the blowback that people will face. And that blowback can be not just career ending, but something that affects people's mental and physical health mm-hmm. seriously for the worse. So, but really what's, what's, what's happened to me and what, 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 what I, I wanted to write the last third of my book is something that would have examples that would give people hope. And the, the, if I had to boil down the thing that gives me the most hope, it's that um, group actions can work, whether it's a group of people going to the press with receipts a group of people striking, um, you know, there, I, I'm aware of certain instances in which groups of showrunners banded together behind the scenes to say, you know, we need, we need you to take action on this or, you know what I mean? Like, so people are kind of finding out that, yeah, individually, and this has always been the case. There've always been brave people collectively and individually in the industry, but I think there's much more of a recognition that, 
Yeah, the industry likes to divide and conquer and isolate and make people feel afraid. But a group of people coming together with a purpose that benefits many people can be really effective. And, you know, that's that's just a heartening lesson that, that if there's anything to be gained from this very hard time in the industry, I'm hoping that's one of the lessons. All right. Last thing I want to talk to you about before I get you out of here, um, aside from being an incredible reporter and an incredible critic, you also have amazing taste and turned me on to some really awesome shows, especially in genre. One of my favorite right now, though, that my wife also got me into is Warrior on uh, HBO Max. Yes. Love and, it. Um, we're almost done with season two. It's hard to watch because it's usually at night, like after the kids go to sleep, but then you're like, well, it's an hour show. So I got to be really judicious with my time. Right. But, uh, it's so fun and actually weirdly ties into a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today because a lot of it's about labor strife. Yeah. And, you know, I want to say, I think it might have been Jamel Bowie, who is uh, a, an opinion writer for the New York Times. He's cool. He, he, I think it was him who said that um, Warrior is the most accurate representation of post-Civil War America that has ever been on American TV. And I think that that's actually true, but it's not mm-hmm. say it's not eat your vegetables history TV, you know, it's hell no. Very, <laughs> hell no. Very, very, um, it's a, it's a really fun, interesting ride, but I absolutely agree. Like you sit there and you watch that show and it's like, okay, let's literally demonize one group of people so that other people can ex- exploit and abuse them. And let's all call that the American way, you know, and mm. it's, just, it's so like relevant for so many reasons. And I'm so glad that the show came back for a third season. I actually um, rewatched seasons one and two and then dove into season three. And I thought season three, you know, after they, the, sh- the show was in a weird limbo area. Like they didn't mm-hmm. know what was going to happen with it. It got finally got put on max. Um, it became super popular. And now I'm just like, I really want, I'll, let's reconnect after you've seen season three. I really want a season four and five and six. That's Ooh, okay. The I mean, the choreography, the fight choreography is unparalleled. I haven't seen something like this in a long time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like, oh. it's, it's special. I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. It's, it's a blast. And like, and I, at first I was like, okay, this is all right. Then uh, the halfway through the season, I'm like, Oh, here we go. Like I am yeah. this, I'm really into this now. Okay. And what I love is that it's very political and it's not like saying you should believe this politically. It's just saying these were the politics of the era and the characters are pretty upfront about that, you know? And Mm -hmm. so how does a group of people that is being exploited, not just fight that exploitation, but experience joy, build a community, you know, be part of something bigger than themselves. I think that there's so much in it that's interesting and just not for nothing, but the production values um, the the direction. I mean, the music. The, yeah, one of the uh, main forces behind the show is uh, Jonathan Tropper, and if you like the fighting and the action on Warrior, you also got to check out Banshee, which stars yeah. our pal from the boys, um, Anthony. Oh gosh, why am I spacing on his last name? Star. The star of the boys was the Anthony Star. Yes, was the, previously the lead in Banshee, and the oh, funny thing is. The bar in um, Warrior that the, all the Irish characters drink at um, is called the Banshee. That's a little nod to Tropper. <laughs> Tro- and he oh, brought cool. over, I never noticed that. Yeah, he brought over a number of the writers and directors from that previous show, which is really, I mean, to me, that these shows are really the most fun. One of the most fun things you can do as a critic or as someone covering the industry is just off to one side not i mean sometimes the big launches are a big deal and they're really great Mm -hmm. but i love finding these gems you know like an orphan black or warrior or um killjoys you know one of my favorites Mm -hmm. um spartacus shows like that where it's like they are doing something really interesting here and they're having fun doing it but they're also making interesting points and building up a memorable world with with characters who have dilemmas that are of their time and place, but also somehow relatable to our time. You know what I mean? They're, they're very, mm-hmm. I, I feel like warrior for sure. There's so much about it that you're like, is this really happening a hundred years ago? Cause it feels kind of like now, you know? Mm-hmm, exactly. And it's got that veneer of, of pulp. So you don't feel like, okay, like it's a, I have to learn a whole thing about like 1880s California. 
Exactly. Like, and that's- I can enjoy it as a Kung Fu show and anything sinks in, great. Or I can enjoy it and then also enjoy the Kung Fu. Well, we don't have time for it, but one of my most notable um, rants and or orations or whatever you want to call it, monologues, is about how um, Spartacus on Stars hid one of the most politically astute, um, I don't know what you want to call it, theories or uh, right. positions. Spartacus was an exploration of how power corrupts, and it had mm-hmm. a lot of smart things to say about that, and it wrapped it in an incredibly violent show with a ton of orgies. And I love, mm-hmm. I love that for us. It sure <laughs> did. No, it sure did. That was what got me. And then you're like, Oh, actually this is pretty good too. The smartest way to get people to think is to make them really happy that they're watching your, your film or your TV first. They're like, I love this, but also it's so like, Oh wait, did they say a thing here? And you can mm-hmm. watch for the, the many layers and the subtext and the political commentary or it can just be, oh my God, they just cut off that dude's arm. It's It works on all levels. Exactly. You don't get any of that unless you pay your writers and your creatives. Um, do you, besides your book, do you have anything to plug? Besides my book? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I would just say, um, please look at my feed or there's there's um, an auction going on to benefit um, IATSE crew members. Uh, please look around for the Entertainment Community Fund. There's also Green Envelope Grocery Aid. If you look for that mm-hmm. on social media, a woman named Joelle Garfinkel is um, heading that up. There are a number of um, funds and efforts to help not just the writers and the actors who are struggling right now, but the crew members who are no longer working. Um, so please, if I know times are tight and people might be hard up for money. So I, I totally don't judge, but if you can throw any money towards those very, very worthy causes, that would be great. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, please go read the book, Burn It Down. It's an excellent, excellent read. It's terrifying at times, but also hopeful in the end. Love it. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much. <laughs>